headquarters to all units. Headquarters to all units. All units stand by for on patrol with the PPD. Airing now on WTBR 89.7 FM. Good morning. Thank you for tuning in to another new episode of On Patrol with the PPD here on WTBR 89.7 FM, Pittsfield Community Radio, simulcast on Pittsfield Community Television. It is a lovely Friday morning. Today is Friday, September 10th, 2021. My name is Mike Wynn. I am one of the co-hosts and co-producers of this allegedly weekly radio program. I'm joined in studio this morning by uh, my sound technician extraordinaire, Lieutenant Gary Traverse of the Cops Bureau. Oh, Good I neglect, morning. I neglected to say that in addition to being co-host, I'm also the chief of police here in the city of Pittsfield. I need to slide that in. We're also joined in studio this morning by a special guest, but we're going to introduce him when we get to the segment for the top of the hour. But before we do that, let's get a check of the weather. We'll talk about a couple news items, and then we'll get to the show. WTBR radar weather for the Pittsfield area today, partly sunny. Highs in the upper 60s. Northwest wind 10 to 15 miles per hour with gusts up to 25 miles per hour. Tonight, mostly clear. Lows in the upper 40s. Northwest wind 10 to 15 miles per hour, becoming west around 5 miles per hour after midnight. Saturday, sunny. Highs in the lower 70s. West wind 5 to 10 miles per hour. Weather forecasts for WTBRFM are provided by the National Weather Service. I think we're I think we're seeing the, the waning days of summer the fall weather is upon us it's not a bad thing it's just uh, then we get the white stuff so it's not a bad it's a personal question are, are you a are you a, like a fall flavors guy you like pumpkin spice you love all that stuff I hate all that stuff <laughs> despise it <laughs> despise it right. the only the only thing I look forward to with the the cooler months coming is they're going to bring back stouts and porters on on the beer selections. Yep. Get rid of these IPAs and all that stuff and bring back real beer. Bring on the calories. It, Guinness actually has fewer calories than most light beers. Is it? It does. Oh, no, that's just an excuse to have more. Let's see. All right, news. <laughs> yeah, talk about some news. Uh, let's start with a major uh, public safety-related story. Uh, it's It's... It's kind of like, you know, headlines on, on most of our news outlets. Major structure fire in the city of Pittsfield on White Terrace. Before we get into any details about that, I just want to, um, you know, offer offer thanks that the four firefighters who were mi- who suffered minor injuries during that, um, they were minor, you know, thank God, no significant injuries. Um, two fire officers transported to the hospital to be treated for smoke inhalation. And uh, two minor physical injuries treated on the scene, continue to work, um, you know, make sure that our brothers and sisters in red are okay. Significant fire action on White Terrace. Uh, if you've been in and around the city of Pittsfield for any length of time, you're familiar with White Terrace. It's a dead-end street that runs off of North Street uh, up in the area of Canav. Uh, three vacant apartment buildings there. They've all burned at some point in the past. I was listening to a radio interview with Deputy Chief Myers yesterday. Um, each of the each of the last four fire chiefs, so Chief Tobin, Chief Sullivan, Chief Chawinski, and now Chief Sammons, have each had a, a major fire in one of those three buildings. Um, we were talking about it a little bit. Um, you know, 
the be- the exterior of those buildings are, are have been deemed historic and they look beautiful, but the interior are they're essentially chimneys, they're fire traps, and uh, you know so. No injuries, um, other than the four firefighters who suffered minor injuries. It's under investigation, uh, very preliminary. I know that our detectives uh, had the state fire marshals in yesterday looking at that. So um, stand by for more to come on that. And in breaking news related, I can't give any real details this morning because uh, the reports haven't been sent. Well, they've been sent over to court, but they haven't been released yet. Uh, We have another open uh, investigation into a suspicious fire and that was closed yesterday with an arrest so more to come on that um, uh, we'll get into more details of that next week Lieutenant Soul is working on a press release okay so if, uh, if you're listening stand by for the media release later in the day uh, two other news stories that I thought were of note uh, if you are a subscriber of the Berkshire Eagle you see today's Berkshire Eagle front page top of the page bubble fold um Matt and Chris Farron, who uh, I know Matt, known Matt since I was patrol officer, um, both employed by Eversource, both as, uh, well, technically linemen, but I think Matt's a, like a high supervisor now. Mm. They're both in Louisiana as part of the National um, Utilities Strike Force, and they're down there restoring power to uh, areas outside of New Orleans and elsewhere in Louisiana that lost their power due to Ida. I know Matt's done this in the past. He's done significant interstate deployments. Um, it is some Chris. I think this is his first one uh, as part of the interstate compact. And, you know, I, we talk about how resources get pulled around the country, you know, wildland firefighters and smoke jumpers and law enforcement resources. Um, but I don't think people necessarily think how deep that goes right do the same thing for emergency medical services with ambulance task forces and the utility companies of course do that i think they actually do it more frequently than um, public safety does so stay safe gentlemen uh you know thanks for representing uh, contained within that story is also mentioned that uh, lanesboro fire deployed deployed four as part of uh, the national fire um mutual aid task force so unusually I've, I've not seen this before the lanesboro firefighters did not deploy to be part of the mitigation efforts to the storm they're backfilling station houses so the local firefighters can uh, come offline and rehab so they're packed up to turn out gear and their uh, scbas and they headed down to louisiana to service firefighters down there and the final story uh, also in this morning's news this has been popping uh, for the last couple of news cycles <laughs> And we in law enforcement have been aware of it for a little while yet, but um, in the days after the January 6th events at the Capitol, video surveillance emerged of somebody, and, you know, I feel bad for the owner, um, you know, where Jim Ramadetta had to make some statements. This isn't representative of our business. You, you can't control who wears logo where, right? But one of the people captured in video surveillance involved in the insurrection is wearing a sweatshirt with the logo from Berkshire Nautilus, a local Pittsfield business. And so uh, federal authorities had shared that image with law enforcement, I want to say as, as early as like February or March. And obviously it was uh, considered sensitive. So we... You know, we couldn't identify the subject, and uh, now they've gone public. FBI Boston put that image out. So if you haven't seen it, it's widely available online. You can go to the FBI website at FBI.gov and uh, look at that. And if you know who the person in those photos or videos are, uh, notify the FBI or notify us, and we'll notify the FBI. You never know. 
No, you don't. You never know. You know, you you could get a, a tire anywhere. Well, yeah, but <laughs> it, you just never know what is going to be a significant identifying feature, right? Right. A logo from a small locally owned business is readily identifiable in a video. Somebody sees it, passes a clip of that video on to the business owner who immediately passes it on to the FBI. Yeah. You just never know. All right. Enough of the news. Should we get started, Lieutenant? We should. So I'm really looking forward to this segment. And uh, I'm a little disappointed that our second guest couldn't <clears throat> couldn't join us today. But that's the nature of work, right? You got to work over. You got to work over, right? So um, Lieutenant Traversa has been kind of stepping up to take the lead to schedule and book the talent, as, as we would say, to make sure we, we fill the content and keep the show um, fresh and new and we're not always replaying the same stuff and you're not always listening to our tired voices. So we started at the top. So that was, that was last week. <laughs> so our guest today is Sergeant J.P. Murphy. Uh, welcome, Sergeant. Thanks for coming in this morning. Hey, thank you for having me. <clears throat> and Sergeant Murphy wears a lot of hats within the police department. He's a trainer and a motor officer. And, um, you know, I, I can't even, I, I'm not even sure I know all of the assignments that he, he fulfills collaterally. But he's here today in one particular capacity, and that is as the commander of the Berkshire County Special Response Team. And uh, we've got some cool SRT accomplishments to talk about. We'll probably maybe start with those in a minute. <clears throat> but, uh, you know, we've got, between the three of us in studio this morning, we, we've got a lot of SRT history that we can also delve into. So one of the things I was excited about, if Adam, uh, your, your uh, deputy commander, uh, had been able to join us, Sergeant Carlotto from Great Barrington, is it would have been the first time everybody in, it, it's, it's still the first time everybody in Booth, but it would have been amazing if it was four of us, uh, as an operator, either you know on or previously served with the team. So JP is the current team commander, Lieutenant Traversa is the previous team commander, I never had the distinction of serving as the team commander. I kind of like um, shuffled in and out of that spot. I was the XO for a number of years. Uh, and when uh, my first team commander left, I actually brought another lieutenant in uh, rather than, than move me into that slot. So I served as the XO under two commanders. Um, I'm not bitter. <laughs> you promoted too quick. I, well, that was part of it. Um, but... The Berkshire County Special Response Team is just an amazing, amazing asset for I to have access to as a police chief, but for my fellow police chiefs to have access to. You've been very, very busy of late. Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah. On, on and off here, we, different things. We've kind of changed the model a little bit on how BCSRT supports not just the Pittsfield Police Department, but all the police departments. Um, we'll talk about activation and deployment, of course, but uh, consulting has become kind of the bread and butter at least for you and Adam and I want to talk about that a little bit as well but before we get to your most recent accomplishments I want to share something that occurred for me this week and this has never happened before um, historically going back to when I was a new operator on the team or a team team leader or a team XO um, a lot of the old school bosses, a lot of the old school shift commanders or division commanders resented when their members joined the team. They thought it was a loss of 
availability for them. You know, I, I know um, when I when I elevated on the team, my lieutenant called me in and basically said, uh, you know, as far as he was concerned, that, that we had just put out the emergency deployment policy. And he basically told me to my face that it meant that if something went well on the shift, uh, he got the credit. And if something went badly, I got the blame. Like, good on you, lieutenant. At least now we know where we stand. Uh, and if you went into one of the plainclothes units, they pretty much insisted that you leave the team because they wanted your loyalty to be to the plainclothes unit and they didn't want you to have to split your, your availability. Um, the other day, I was sitting in the office with two patrol commanders who were interviewing a, a young police officer who's getting ready to switch shifts mid-year to balance the shifts. And the shift commander told him, once you settle in on my shift, I want you to apply and get on the team. I need operators available to help me. And I, I just sat back. I'm like, oh, my God. We, it's, it, the tide has shifted. We're finally there. Uh, I didn't actually think I'd see it during my career. Um, that's a big, big change. So you have a potential candidate stepping up. Well, yeah, we've got a, well, we've spoke. We've got a yeah. few in the works that we're yeah. going to try and implement shortly. And maybe it's, maybe it's someone else that we're on the same page with here. We'll yeah. See. All right, so um, JP, let's we'll get into the history of the SRT and the purpose for the SRT uh, in a, in a bit. But I know you, you were very excited to send me an email when I was on leave to let me know, um, you know what what had happened down in Connecticut, and particularly about some some recognition your teammates had received. So. Tell us about the Connecticut SWAT Challenge and how, how long the team has been going to the Connecticut SWAT Challenge and, and what was significant about your participation in the SWAT Challenge this year. Okay, so the, the Connecticut SWAT Challenge is essentially it's a national training element, a training exercise for SWAT teams and other agencies alike just throughout the country and beyond. It's been going on. I think the first year they started was 2005. And... I believe that it was around, I think 2006 might have been the first time that uh, the special response team here in Berkshire County had, you know, took the trip and decided to be a part of that. I joined the team in um, 2010, so I think they had one or two trips down there. Um, after I, you know, joined the team, uh, we put together a group to go down in, in 2011, um, again in 2013, and then things kind of. Uh, there, there was some transition with the team at that time. A big, big part of everyone going down, I think, since the beginning, since you know, the '06, the first trip was, um, you know, the late retired Chief Jeff Rusa, and he was, you know, the three of us know better than anyone here that he was always a part of it and a hard charger to get going. As he made his transition to chief, obviously, you take on a bunch of different other responsibilities. He couldn't do that as much. So there was just a little period of time where we hadn't gone, hadn't taken the trip down. Um, and then we went back in 2019. It was great. We had some new operators on the team, decided to, to get a group to go down there. And um, Adam Carlotto and I kind of headed that and got everyone in the right spot and tried to prepare them, but you can't really prepare for it. And um, so we did 2019. We were excited to go back the following year, 2020 happened. So that got postponed, um, but everything uh, was back in action for this past uh, summer. So we went in, uh, I think it's the third week of August, we went down. Um, and basically, for those that don't know the competition, it's typically a four-day, um, I want to say event, but the competition, it's a whole pile of different training ex exercises, scenarios you get put through. 
they do an excellent job. The directors of that are incredible. Um, Captain Jeremy Clark, he's still down in West Hartford, Connecticut. And um, yeah, I believe it was uh, Lieutenant Chapel had retired since then. And they. So, so let me interrupt you for a second. I just I want to get a little bit into the weeds. Most of our viewers and listeners probably aren't familiar. And we refer to it as the Connecticut SWAT Challenge. And, and it is. It's a challenge. It's a series of tests and exercises. But, um, you know, Connecticut didn't come up with this idea. But there, there have been SWAT competitions um, almost as long as there's been SWAT. And LAPD SWAT was founded in 67 or 69. So this, this is a proud history. Uh, and it may sound... Odd was it? Why why would we let our operators, our officers, take time to go compete against other teams? <clears throat> well, if there was just the competition, it that I would understand that question. But usually, when you go to the competitions, there's a training element as well. So there's 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 some you know educational items presented in between rounds or whatever, and there's a networking opportunity not only with fellow operators but with the vendors. So when you say it's a four day event, there's equipment there. There's you know, other like you guys hooked up with um, it was a Met- Metrolec or Semlec. Now you're going to be yes. going out there, yeah. And so, it's not only an opportunity to increase capabilities, but when you get on to the head-to-head challenges, it's an opportunity to test capabilities. And so, as a as an agency head, when my operators go down, not only do they come back purportedly betterly equipped, better equipped, and possibly better trained. But I, I have a check mark. I know these things that they accomplished. Um, Berkshire has been participating in some type of SWAT competition since I joined the team. I was actually recruited to the team, um, specifically because we were getting ready for what at the time was the New England SWAT Challenge. Mm-hmm. Uh, it used to be held in Camp Curtis Gill here in the Commonwealth. They had to move it. That kind of transitioned and became Connecticut. Lieutenant Traverse, you went to Orlando. Yeah, the uh, SWAT Roundup. So the SWAT Roundup. Um, SWAT Roundup International is usually held in either Orlando or uh, Texas. Sometimes they'll, they'll hold the one out there. Uh, that Those attract international teams. And the one thing I want to say before we get into the details of this year is it, it, in every case that any of us have participated in a SWAT challenge, we're the minority because we're the part-time on-call teams, right? Some of the teams that are going are from large international or uh, national full-time units like LAPD SWAT and YPD SWAT. Um, when I went to the New England SWAT competition, one of the teams that was there was a competition-only team. Their department was so large and their team was so large that they split the team in half, and one half of the team spent a year prepping just for competitions, and then they switched um, because it kept them sharp and it kept them on their game. So to go as a part-time on-call special unit, you're, you're going up against some heavy hitters. Yeah, absolutely. You got to bring your A game. Yeah, some significant yeah. talent and just, and it's not that there's a difference with, than what these full times do, even what LAPD does yep. in comparison to what we do. It's on a smaller scale. Right. You know, it's all the same, yep. the same things, but they train every day and all day. And yeah. So, how many operators do you have to prepare to take down? So you you can bring ten operators down. They have it eight eight to ten, um, and it's really good to get to that number ten because some of the events and some of the training exercises you know go back to back so some of the operators are going to have to finish one if that event starts late then they got to hustle to get to another another range another area another building and um and then on the final day they have which is just shy of a it's a six mile course it's their their physical that's their pt challenge 
which has, I believe it's 32 obstacles over a course of six miles. Um, but it's not like the, the Tough Mudders or anything like that. It's, you know, it's it's terrible. You're but moving it, equipment. Yeah, yeah, you're... You're, you're doing a lot a lot of stuff you're so, wearing a gas mask yeah. for so they changed the location this year too right they they changed the, the location it had been um in west hartford there was a couple different ranges we had shared one with connecticut state police and used another one it's called the medicon range um for a number of reasons that was changed and i believe it's east granby holds um the hartford gun club mm -hmm. and that was a very large property that it, it made it so we had access to a, a whole bunch of different things and not just your standard your range or anything like that it was a very good setup this year did it have a reservoir well that so the following the the pt challenge on the last day that's been at the same place um and there's yeah the reservoir there it's so you still have to do the water component of the pt challenge two of us did this year <laughs> they, they yeah they um you know i remember years past where you know you're you got the whole team, you know, all ten of you. Either you're going across the reservoirs as part of it, um, carrying equipment while you do it. Everything um, this year and last year, they had minimized the the swimming, I guess, and it was just two operators got selected to do that this the, year. So. The first time I drove down to West Hartford to watch you guys compete, I, and I went down on that last day, so I started over at the ranges, at the you know trade show in the ranges, and I went and watched some uh, shooting competitions. They're like, oh yeah, walk this way if you know you go up there. They're, they're running the, and I topped out on top of this hill and I looked down and there was a bunch of operators in the reservoir, and I just I looked at I was like, okay, this is a capability that we hadn't considered. Not really sure it's in our SOPs. We we do have a, a aquatic component in there, but it's so rare, right? Yeah. And but it's a great equalizer, right? Yeah, and just to touch on that and kind of what you introduced earlier, which we talked to the operators, Adam and I in, in length, especially the, the crew that hasn't gone yet, is that besides the, the networking and getting the train and everything like that, um, one of the big things, I, th I, I think in my opinion, one of the biggest things that comes out of it is that the preparation that it takes to go there, not just for yourself physically and mentally, but with your gear, making sure you're proficient with everything, all different, all different pieces of equipment, not just your firearms or, you know, everything that you use, you have to be proficient with your training. So right before you go to that competition and when you go, you're at that time probably the best that you are to, to your abilities because you've been putting in the work mm -hmm. and you've been familiarizing yourself with all your equipment and working hard at it. So after that competition, you come back, I mean, you're, you're the, you're the, the best you're going to be you're right you on the edge unless you maintain that so yeah. when the real thing happens you know where everything is you know how to get to it you know how to use it everything's on everything's dialed in so so you get down there and over the four days they've got these series of of competitions or exercises and you're going up against the other teams and they're, they're testing all of your capabilities right the snipers have to you know do the climbs and the stalks and, and making the shot is like the easy part of some of these challenges. You got to get there. Uh, they test your breaching, um, you know, and the challenges are designed to test real world events that um, teams might find themselves involved in. You know, that um, they test you on hostage rescue, mm -hmm. um, officer down stuff. So t tell us about a couple of the, the significant events that you guys participated in. Yeah, a few, a few of them. And one in particular that almost always the, the snipers has to, they have to do some type of ice bath you know and i got put in that position this year and that's terrible but you know i had a conversation recently with someone said what why the, why the heck do you do that like what's 
for what? And you don't think about it, but come January, February, something could happen, and <laughs> one of our operators could be they could be put out somewhere. They could be laying in the snow for three, four hours. So if I and then, if I activate you guys in the middle of February, and we're looking at the crisis scene, you know, on on the incident command software, and I say, look, I need eyes on, and I need you to put somebody in that tree line, and it's twenty below. You're going to put somebody in that tree line at twenty below. Which, which we did that up in Lanesboro yeah. a few years back, and it, so w I tell a story all the time when we're doing supervisory training about the the Christmas Eve deployment to Clarksburg. We we had long riflemen in snowbanks for hours, hours trying to keep eyes on that while we were coming up with a plan. Um, and fortunately, that one resolved well, is about as best as could happen. Um, but if you're that officer, if you're that operator on that rifle and it's 20 below and you are called upon to make that shot, you have to be able to make that shot. So the ice bath, putting you in a position to simulate that. I mean, yeah. you know, we can't run exercises in real time in February and just say, go, you know, just go hide in the snowbank for four hours. Which, and we've done that in the past, yeah. the different training elements and stuff that we, that we put together to try and prepare people but again this is all it's simulated and you're going to try and it's and, condensed and, and condensed and it's you know so so that um you know for one exercise that they try and simulate stuff but they did a, a lot of work where the, the sniper elements were working with the, with teams with entry teams utilizing um armored rescue vehicles you know like like our bearcat you know made uh, by Lenko right here in pittsfield and no free had, ads no free ads you're welcome lenny i'm sure i'm sure <laughs> I'm sure Cap will get a T-shirt or something. Yeah, out something of that, out but, of that, right? But um, so they're yeah they're a big sponsor of the event, and um, th you know they were there, and it gave the operators an opportunity to deploy from some of the vehicles to do some different exercises again, just to kind of put them in situations that they might face out in the real world. But again, as we know that the the competition side of it, I mean, some of the stuff that you're doing whether it's the shooting and the physical aspect of it isn't something you're necessarily going to be doing every day or having to make certain shots with that equipment that you have that you know you're not designed to make it's just uh it's it's all put together to really challenge everyone and make sure that this their stuff's ready to go i'll, I'll tell you what when i went to the new england swat challenge at camp curtis guild i i was a relatively new operator um i, I was pretty good with all of my my tools and equipment but i i was still getting used to some of it and right before the con well not right before but before the competition kicked off we were participating in the educational aspects and so i got picked to go to two different classes with the fbi one of them was the first time i ever got introduced to linear assault that was when i learned how to brief out a bus or a train or a, a aircraft takedown uh, FBI brought us in, you know, we had school buses on site and we went, you know, classroom to walkthroughs to live action assaults on school, but, you know, school buses with role players on them, just jamming the information. in. the other class I took was with an FBI fire instructor, firearms instructor, and it was on specialized deployments of shotguns. I didn't think anything about it, right? You know, talking about how you load the shotgun, how you make sure that, you know, the round in the chamber is the round that you want and how you're going to, um, how you're going to mix that up but we also talked about with buckshot the ability to skip and or scallop rounds so you know it, it's an urban tactic but 
with buckshot you got somebody like down behind a car or something like that it's possible to, to put the buckshot on the ground and move it under the car right? it's 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 something that you don't normally see on a regular range so the next day after practicing these shotgun techniques i'm online in one of the competition teams and i dropped around i missed a shot with my pistol and so I'm, I'm moving through the course. I missed a shot with my pistol. And I'm not going to have enough ammo left to hit the number of plates that are still standing. So I switched to my shotgun and stepped off of my regular firing position to change my angle and dropped both plates with one shotgun burst. So I didn't lose any points on, on the shooting competition, right? I managed to make it up. Just things, a capability I didn't have the day before. So. Yeah, it's... Th th things like that they introduce and in, in a lot of times they'll do that you know they put different equipment the vendors are there showing some of the new latest and greatest stuff and um and that was w one of the events that they did that typically we don't do they had an in an indoor shoot house where the operators that got to go do that one that were selected for it were using night vision it was dark in there and they had you know a, a red dot holographic sight on a handgun which none of us have. we don't normally do and that was a big thing and that you know of course after that you know everyone got to talk to the chief we got to try i mean so is, i should be expecting great. some purchase orders yeah right? we'll, we'll figure something out but um it, it when was, i get my rifle optic back we can talk about handgun optics for the team <laughs> <laughs> he's got a good memory he's in, in certain instances <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. My, my EOTech <laughs> went on a team rifle to go down in 2019. It hasn't come home yet. All right. Well, we'll have to figure it out. We'll, we'll come up with a, an agreement here. Um. <laughs> I know exactly where it is. I think it's getting used more than it would on your gun. Sorry, Chief. It's all right. All right. We got it's, like one It's almost minute. turkey season. <laughs> Actually, we don't even. We, we're, we're at the halfway point. This is just flowing. So let's get another check of the weather and some PSAs, and then we'll come back and talk about what the team accomplished this year in particular. WTBR radar weather for the Pittsfield area. Today, partly sunny. Highs in the upper 60s. Northwest wind 10 to 15 miles per hour with gusts up to 25 miles per hour. Tonight, mostly clear. Lows in the upper 40s. Northwest wind 10 to 15 miles per hour, becoming west around 5 miles per hour after midnight. Saturday, sunny. Highs in the lower 70s. West wind 5 to 10 miles per hour. Weather forecasts for WTBRFM are provided by the National Weather Service. Support for WTBR comes from Greylock Federal Credit Union, proud to support high school arts and sports programs to help our community thrive. Greylock Federal, with locations throughout the Berkshires and online at greylock.org. And from BeFair. BeFair is one of the largest premier human service agencies in Berkshire County. If you're looking for services for a loved one or are interested in caring for the people we support, visit BeFair.org today for available opportunities. Support for WTBR comes from Sandrini Enterprises, providing awnings and canopies in western Massachusetts. Retractable awnings, retractable screens, gutter and gutter protection systems, commercial awnings, and screen rooms. Customized solutions available online at sandrini.com. UCP of Western Massachusetts is hiring. If you'd like to help people with different abilities lead independent lives, apply at ucpwma.org jobs. We need direct and living caregivers. Join the agency who's reimagining independence. 
Support for WTBR comes from Berkshire Community College. BCC offers more opportunity and less student debt with small class sizes and more than 50 academic programs to choose from. Fall classes begin on September 7th. Apply today at berkshirecc.edu. And from County Ambulance, providing quality, professional, efficient medical care and medical transportation services to the citizens of Berkshire County. Online at countyamb.com. Welcome back. Thanks for tuning in again to another new episode of Out Patrol with the PPD. Uh, if you're just joining us, today is Friday, September 10th, 2021. Uh, my name is Mike Wynn. I'm the Chief of Police here in the City of Pittsfield. I'm joined in the studio this morning by Lieutenant Gary Traversa, Cops Bureau Commander. And we have a special guest joining us this morning, Sergeant J.P. Murphy, uh, Commander of the Berkshire County Special Response Team. Sergeant Murphy has been telling us about the team's recent trip down to Connecticut to participate in the Connecticut SWAT Challenge. And uh, right before we went to station identification, he was talking about some of the actual events that they had participated in over that four-day educational training opportunity and capabilities test. Um, but now I want to turn our attention a little bit. So they came back from their four-day uh, assignment down there, and Sergeant Murphy was chomping at the bit. I think I was still at the beach. I'm pretty sure I was still at the beach. And uh, Sergeant Murphy had sent me an email and said, Chief, I know you're on vacation. I don't want to take any of your time. I said, well, if you want to take any of my time, you wouldn't want to send me the email. But he was pretty <laughs> excited uh, because they something the, the team had a cool experience at the uh, conclusion of the Connecticut SWAT Challenge during the um, dinner, banquet, banquet awards. The awards banquet, yeah. yeah. So, so we have, uh, yeah, the, ba the banquet is the, the final day. Yeah. Um, and that day in the morning time, there's an event that's different from all the other events. Um, it's essentially like a scenario. This year it was a scenario at, and I'll touch into this and then get where we're going with the your interruption from vacation. But um, it was a, a simunition exercise at a, an old um, an abandoned nursing home area that they had down there somewhere in Connecticut. And it was a, a hostage rescue situation that then kind of morphed into an active shooter um, situation and you know so that's it's stressful it takes a lot and it's that's a lot of pressure on the guys that went um and it's stuff like that and we excelled in we did very well they did a great job you know and it's the, the different things the exercises like that you get to see the skill level and kind of where everyone's at on the team and um so they had got done putting the work in for that and in the meantime when that while all that was going on the staging air was pouring rain it was a downpour and we complete that they they complete that and they do a great job then we have to move to the area where the reservoir is and where they do all the pt challenge and spend three hours trying to get through that course and everyone was uh you know I, i'd like to think every other team was completely exhausted and had having trouble walking after that <laughs> um and uh but we we certainly were and then they have a banquet their awards dinner um and that's right at, uh, in west hartford down at the town hall so we uh, we all go there. We have a, a dinner. You get a chance to kind of see everyone else, and you know, I guess comp complain about how sore you are. <laughs> but they um, throughout that they b before they get into you know where everyone scored and you know different awards and prizes for that. They do a lot of different raffles. A lot of the vendors are you know giving out stuff, doing things that you could put in for. And um, while they were doing the raffles, 
uh, they said that they were going to, um, they had a, a prize that they were just going to give to a team instead of having to go to a raffle and then hoping that someone, you know, provided their team with that. Um, but they ended up giving that to Berkshire County Special Response Team for us. And there was a, a company that made a pole camera and not just, you know, a GoPro on the end of a extendable stick. It's a very nice high-tech camera for searching buildings, searching areas, and so, they... So for our viewers and listeners at home who may not be familiar with this, with Sergeant, a pole camera in a tactical, when we talk about, you know, because that, that word gets thrown about in police circles all the time, it can mean a couple different things. But a pole camera in a tactical environment is a camera, generally a point, a pan-tilt-zoom camera on the end of a telescopic pole that can be manipulated from the operator end of the pole and you can see the take. There's a monitor on the operator end of the pole, but it can be deployed down a hall, around corners, through a window, up into a crawl space to give the team the chance to get eyes on uh, uh, uncleared area without exposing anybody. It's kind of the high-tech version of what, when I was a new operator, was a mirror. Um, and so, you know, this is a piece of equipment the team doesn't currently have. Uh, we had one at one point in the past. Uh, we basically destroyed it. Um, and so, you know, enhancing capabilities is always something we're interested in. So for, you know, the organizers and this vendor to say, hey, you know, Berkshire, this is what we got for you. That's a big deal. Yeah, absolutely. And, the, and again, we, you know, there's a lot of teams, especially the local teams in Connecticut, they go there every year. But you see teams come and go, certainly like us, when we had our, a little break where we hadn't gone back. But because teams come from all over, I, I, I think this year, I, I think based on everything there wasn't, the furthest one was Indiana State Police, I believe, that had come down. But so sometimes they consider us kind of local because we're only, you know, an hour and a half or so away. And um, they get to know us. Adam and I have, you know, the, the directors that, that run the thing and put it on, they, they got to know us a bit over the years. And, yeah, they just um, a lot of times they select not necessarily a team in need, which certainly we are. I mean, I think every team could utilize something like that. But um, having a conversation with them after, they were – they're happy they wanted to just ex express how pleased they were that we continue to try and go on a regular basis and that and they understand like a lot of teams we're not the, the full-time teams that are spending all day training we're not a competition team um we're a working team and we're a part-time working team um but we always go down we have a good attitude and um you know we kind of we do whatever we're told to do there's no complaining no whining not to the directors anyway we get that i guess amongst keep each that other. internal yeah internally here but um but but everyone does a great job and i think this year especially the the crew that went down you know it was, it was great great attitude and uh and did what they needed to do and i couldn't be more happy with them same with adam and obviously that that was portrayed to even the directors of this competition where they decided to select us out of the, uh, you know all the teams there to get this piece of equipment and the, the, the price on that thing, it might not be something that we ever would have decided to put some of our budget towards because of the expense. Because you have an extremely limited budget. Absolutely. <clears throat> and, and when you look at something like, like this that would take more than a third of the entire budget for a year for everything, it's, you know, we, like last year, we got a really nice mirror. So, when, <laughs> which is, which is great. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but, you never know the impact that this could have if this is going to save one of our operators lives and officers or, or even anyone else's at some point to be able to safely go conduct a search and minimize the i guess the amount of harm that you're in 
Well, I'll tell you, because when I was uh, operator, before I became the chief, I, was, I think I was still a lieutenant. I procured the, the team's first pole cam. I, I worked that out. And uh, in the time that it was, you know, it, that, I don't want this to come off wrong. We didn't, like, go out of our way to damage it. We just worked that camera hard, and we basically wore it out. Um, but in the time that that camera was operational, it deployed in support of patrol and investigations many more times than it deployed in, mm -hmm. in support of the team. Um, you know, we were using that for evidence searches. We were using it for missing persons searches. Uh, we were using it for large-scale searches and, and related to long-term investigations. So, you know, it's the team's equipment, but this is a capability that's not just going to benefit the operators. This is a this is a piece of equipment that's going to benefit everybody in the county. Um, so that's a that's a huge that's a huge win. That, that was one thing. I, I I think it was the day that I brought that back. Someone said, "Oh, that's great." Now you you guys got that, and that that's where it's going to sit. And I said, "Well, yeah, we we got it. It's it's great, but it's a resource that's going to go everywhere, Correct. like you said, for all different aspects of policing, and it, it'll be utilized throughout the county. And we're we're actually going to have a a demo from the manufacturer. They're going to come down and make sure we know how to use it, and before we put it online and be ready to go. I know the first time I deployed the previous pole camera, it was for patrol, and we were using it to search storm drains. And right? putting the camera down through the mm -hmm. grates so we could see what was down there. So it, that kind of goes back to um, what you were talking about at, at when we started, Chief, in terms of putting up, you know, having operators on each shift and having, you know, there, there are things that happen on this shift, calls that require some some tactical evaluation and, and maybe a little bit more um you know tactical knowledge than than a patrol officers you know get in the academy or may acquire so having a team member on a shift helps that shift re resolve incidents and and also having access to the <coughs> team equipment during right. that shift helps everybody you know, there's a reason shift commanders not only allow but encourage the team members the operators assigned to their shift to patrol in the team truck instead of their beat car right it it just makes everybody better faster safer when you've got trained people with access to that equipment ready to go uh, and building out the team truck was a deliberate decision to push that capability so let's you know let's step back from the competition a little bit and let's kind of talk about this philosophy and we, we can get into a little bit of the history of the team because the team is a far cry from where it was when I came on in 97 and and when I came on in 97 the team was good don't get me wrong um, it had evolved but it it's nowhere near what it is now uh, capabilities wise equipment wise training wise uh, it's just leaps and bounds better so let's you know just for the three of us um you know for our viewers and listeners that hear you hear the lieutenant and i talk about this all the time because we're very proud of our team service um but you know a lot of people might not know what is the team why do we have the team so the berkshire county special response team is a part-time on-call special capabilities unit or special operations unit that draws can draw members from all of the full-time police departments in berkshire county uh they volunteer they're selected to to go through an application process they volunteer they're 
evaluated under some pretty strict criteria for a lengthy period of time. And if they make it through that evaluation period, then they're run through a basic SWAT training, mm-hmm. which is not easy. Um, and after they get through all of that, then they're placed on probation with the team and they can start to operate. Um, and so how many operators on the team right now, JP? Well, c- currently right now we're right around the, t- the 25 mark. We're, you know, numbers have down. There's been yeah. some transition with some other agencies. Um, there's, I, I think, um, not necessarily, you know, personal commitment issues, yeah. but just to other obligations with work where it's caused um, – you know some some of the operators to transition and move off the team this year hopefully we're looking to get that we like to stay right around the the 30 that's a that's a good solid number about half half of that usually around the 14 15 is from Pittsfield operators and then the the other half of the team is again sporadically just different agencies throughout the county where they how many agencies on the team right now well, I'll just count them and give you, you know, we have obviously Pittsfield. Pittsfield. We have representatives from, um, you know, obviously Adams from Great Barrington, Pittsfield, or Great Barrington Police Department. We have uh, Lennox, uh, North Adams, Adams, uh, the Berkshire County Sheriff's Department has a couple. And um, at this point, Lee was in a transition period, so we currently don't have anyone from Lee or from Dalton. And that's, that's hopefully going to be changing here okay. shortly. So 25 to 30 operators. Uh, drawn from departments throughout Berkshire County, uh, you know, half dozen-ish departments at any given time. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the the structure of the team right now, so this is one of the things that I think is evolutionary. You are a police sergeant in Pittsfield, which you're the team commander, and historically the team commander has always been a lieutenant or higher. Not, Not always. There's been some other periods where it was a sergeant. But your deputy commander, the, the you know, assistant commander, for the first time, is not from Pittsfield. <laughs> Correct. Right. So, um, you know, the command structure represents the multi-jurisdictional nature. Mm-hmm. The team represents the multi-jurisdictional nature. The team is structured with the team commander who has to authorize all assignments and deployments. And then the deputy team commander, Sergeant Carlotto, who takes over in your absence, which... Uh, due to the amount of work you guys have been getting he's he's actually had to do quite a bit um this, yeah, this time of year especially when people are t- taking yeah. time off have other other commitments and then you have two team leaders with th- three now three team leaders yes. okay who are your team leaders so team leaders we have um officer uh yeah officer hallis from pittsfield here police department he was our newest one uh we have S- sergeant mike smith he's in lennox pd and then officer josh baker who's in adams and um so between you know from Adams to Pittsfield to Lennox just with our team leaders it's pretty far spread throughout the county and then you know with Adam and I but you know with I'll be I'm centrally located Adams down south but and we know Adams except for today which we're gonna have to get on him for he's 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 there (laughs) he's always dropping the hat he's ready to go he'll do anything so so and that's Technically, that's the the formal t- structure of the command element of the team. At various times, depending on what where the team is in their training, you might assign somebody as a training officer or a logistics officer to kind of um, help the command element keep on track for the required trainings and other stuff. So, at some point, you might have an intelligence officer responsible for the ORC board. Yeah. Um, a lot of times, we'll rotate those responsibilities to make sure everybody can can help in that capability. So you've got this team, dedicated volunteers, uh, 
highly trained, specially equipped. And for some of our listeners and viewers, like, why? You know, why, why do we have this? So when we do basic SWAT school, uh, one of the core components of basic SWAT is kind of just the, the introduction and overall history of police special operations in the country. Uh, I'm always honored that I get to do that part. It's, I, it's coming again yeah, soon. I know. So. I, I like to do that part. Um, like I said, I'm very proud of my time with the team. I think that serving with the team definitely was largely responsible for me being able to get to where I am today. Um, but I, I think operators need to understand when they come in. And you don't make it to the SWAT school without understanding this because you'll wash out in the evaluation period. But prior to me joining the team, the uh, the the previous version of the Pittsfield Police Department SRT was essentially a shooting club. Right. These guys got together a couple times a month. They put a lot of rounds down range. That was good because that is a capability any operator has to have. But it wasn't enough um, because the, the two things that I always emphasize for new operators are, one, SWAT is a life-saving resource. That's, that's number one. It's, part of, it's ingrained in our DNA as operators. By deploying a specially trained unit and a specially equipped unit, we can slow situations down and present more options that prevent officers from having to enter into a lethal force encounter that's number one and number two is that swat special weapons and tactics special response team special isn't special it's taking the basics and doing them over and over and over again until they're second nature and you almost can't do them wrong every police officer knows the basic tactics that an operator relies on the operators just do them relentlessly until they're second nature Absolutely. Go ahead. So I I think with that and then also how you touched on, you know, our selection process and who we get for candidates to essentially become operators, you know, most of them is it's again, it's not skills. It's not rocket science that that we can do anything different than anyone else, but we can do it better because we put in the work. But also in the same sense, the, the group of people that we get that we select that, you know, you said you were recruited. That's I think all three of us were we said I don't, I don't know if i want to do that and then you get no let's go you get pressured into it and that's typically how it's been run with the team because there's a certain skill set and a different qualities that people have they're going to be a good fit mindset and right? it's the, mindset yeah. and added we can teach the tactical skills it's mindset and attitude um and so you know we're we're pushing up on, on the end of the show here we've kind of ranged all over the place so i think the other thing that I, I would like our listeners and viewers to know about this is that um, it, we have the team because it's a dedicated group of individuals. And, it, and when I say dedicated, not just dedicated as, you know, this is the dedicated representative, but dedicated. It's not a, in the Pittsfield, it's not a special assignment. You don't get compensated more to be on the team, right? It's the, I, I used to say this all the time. It's the only assignment in the department that you don't get special assignment pay to be on but you're required to be available to the unit every minute of every day of the year that you're not marked out on vacation. No other unit has that requirement that you must be available for call out unless you're on vacation. Yeah, not at all. You hear people, you know, oh, I'm on call this weekend or geez, I got ordered to come in, you know, it's, and you know, I mean, yep. you're on it. It's just 24 seven. And even when, you know, so, you know, some of the operators say they're on vacation, I'm not available, don't bother me, but then they still know, come in. But, but then there's some of us that it doesn't matter. I mean, 
last week or you know i've been away on vacation you know out of the state you've been there and you've got your laptop with you and you know sitting in a hotel room while the, while the family's sleeping typing. We, we had the south street deployment five weeks ago 90 minutes before the deployment balloon went up i got a scom from an operator saying unavailable for the next 36 hours on vacation i showed back up in the staging area he's kitted up and, and moving down to the crisis zone he had just sent the I'm not available yeah. text out. <laughs> Hadn't left yet. I'd rather be here. Um, so so the, I think the last thought on this before we kind of like just wrap up with our thoughts on the team in general is we have a special capabilities unit like the special response team to be available for those scenarios that a police officer, and it, it's not to denigrate you know, the normal police officer. It's not about that at all. Pol our police officers are highly capable. But officers are going to arrive on scenarios, situations, crises that they don't have the equipment and the, the team-related skills to resolve with the minimum disruption or the minimum impact on life. They just they can't. You, it, it takes more resources and more bodies to do it the very safest way. And so that's why we keep the team, and that's why we train the team. So when patrol officer, there's a, there's a trite saying that we used to throw around. Uh, when I was a new operator. When residents are in trouble, they call the police. When the police are in trouble, they call SWAT. And it's trite, but it's very much true, right? When So the reason that the patrol commander said that to his new officer earlier this week is, and we can talk about this with the ERD, um, when a police commander is looking at a crisis location going, oh, crap, now what? To be able to take a deep breath and step back and turn to an experienced tackle operator and say, what do you think? And have the operator say, well, I've got 25 of my closest friends who are 15 minutes out and they can come help you with this. That is a great thing. It's a great thing. And having been the one to initiate a call out hundreds of times mm -hmm. in my career. Um, and I again, I say this when I'm teaching new supervisors. When I activate the team, I, I take a deep breath and breathe a deep sigh of relief because I know that when the team commander shows up with his team leaders and we start to put together a crisis plan, they're not going to give me a plan, right? If they were only going to give me a plan, we're going to crash the door and go get them. I could do that with any group of eight officers that I just selected. Grab a ram and we could go. When the team shows up, they're going to give me a menu of plans. They're, they're going to say, we've got an immediate action plan. We've got a containment plan. We've got a plan if this goes mobile. We've got a plan to introduce gas. We've got a plan uh, if we have to do slow systemic. We've got a plan for a surrounding call out. And I'm going to get to consult with your commanders. And we're going to say, okay, slow this down. Play this out. Let's pick the best plan. And that's why it's life-saving resource. A absolutely. And that's what we try to train for. You put you know, all you could, we've spoken about it recently. You can have... There's a, a specific scenario. This is this is what you have going on right now. You you send people to it. They finish that. They come back. Same scenario, but there could be countless outcomes, countless different variables, things that happen, things that you know subjects will end up doing that are going to cause you to have to pull out one of these situations you prepared for, and you know you think it's going to be this, but it's that. That that happened on South Street. Right. So you you guys are actually going to change your mission a little bit this year. You're going to start providing some more training within the department, right? a little bit of roll call training. And we've extended the invitation to supervisors to attend some of your regularly scheduled training so they can get more comfortable with what you can do. 
because we saw that on South Street, right? The team was there and the team was in tactical command. Uh, and you were getting ready to initiate essentially a, a negotiated surrender. We're going to bring those people out. And we had, we had some other people participating in the communications and the subjects decided to self-present. And so <clears throat> the team's immediate action plan was immediately, it's an immediate action plan, so of course immediately, was immediately put into play. What we didn't account for and had never account, and I had never seen before was the patrol officers that had been holding containment for so long and were so invested in this outcome that we had taken off of the line through a relief. They went back down to the crisis location. So now we had a planned response from the team and an unplanned response from the self-presenting patrol officers, and we worked it out. Uh, JP was able to quickly take command and, and calm everybody down. But we need to, we need to be clear when there's a transfer of operational authority, when that happens and, and who gets to initiate, right? Um, you know, lesson learned, valuable lesson learned. And it's good that things like that happen right. so that we could teach everyone, you know, teach other people, teach ourselves and just train and plan for that to put that inside the filing cabinet so that we could know, hey, this, how we this is better. probably going to happen next time. And That's how we get better. Last thought on this, because uh, you talked about the fact that uh, Officer Dave Hallis is one of your team leaders, and I guess that's the other thing I would like our listeners and viewers to know. On the team, rank doesn't matter, right? It's capability. So Dave Hallis is a patrol officer, traffic officer. He's been a team member. He was a team member shortly after I became a team member. He's long in the two. He's yeah. a gray hair on the yeah, team. Him and Lieutenant Rocket Ruler yeah. are the longest standing yeah. have been there, yeah. And, um, you know, Dave's a team leader because of his excellence and his capabilities, not because of his rank. And so we, in the department... And I suggest other departments do this as well. We have what we call the ERD. It's an emergency rapid deployment directive. It's a written directive that was created in the 90s. And it basically says when a patrol supervisor, or an investigative supervisor, or a patrol commander arrives at a crisis scenario that they don't believe their crew, their on-duty resources can resolve successfully, that they can consult with their team member, their operator. And if they believe that the team will be required they can transfer command to that operator regardless of rank and, and that, that happens all yeah all the time and that operator then has full authority to initiate a team call out or a limited team call out and the team takes tactical command and that officer will remain in command until a team commander arrives to relieve them uh, and because we have the ERD our patrol commanders don't feel that they have to push a situation because they know this resource is always available and it's always coming. Um, you, and, and I think this was almost a natural evolution, you've been spending a lot of time on the phone with other police chiefs and other police commanders when they have a, a scenario evolving that's questionable, but they don't mm -hmm. know. Um, and as a result of that consulting process, you have either been able to initiate a limited call out and take your team yeah. or in more situations you've been able to convince them you don't need us you can do this yeah or just provide them with some things that they didn't necessarily think of at the time so you you have the availability and the, to do this this and this give that a shot and we can resolve things before even initiating a call out this one flowed we have less than 40 seconds left we could do two hours final th we'll have them back with adam final thoughts <laughs> lieutenant no, I, I know we're we're short on time, and right. uh, thank you, JP, for coming in. Absolutely, appreciate thank it. you guys. And, uh, I appreciate we hope it. To get 
Adam next we'll, time we'll as well. To our listeners and viewers at home, thanks for tuning in this morning. You've been listening to On Patrol with the PPD here on WTVR 89.7 FM, Pittsfield Community Radio, simulcast on Pittsfield Community Television. Until next week, be safe, be healthy, and most importantly, be kind. We're 10-8.